Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Father, we applause to you, Lord, and to your holy name that we can gather here this morning and to worship you and to stand in rapt attention to your awesome presence, Adonai. Our praise, our worship, our thanks unto you, our Father and our God, through Yeshua Mashiach, our Lord, our Savior. We come, O God, recognizing that you are so important and that only through Christ we can come. The privilege of being, O God, who we are through Christ, priests and kings, uh, eternity alone will reveal it. But God help us to recognize all that it means, the priesthood of believers because of Jesus. And I pray God that you would grant us your grace, your peace, and the Holy Spirit would take charge and open our hearts, our mind in worship, in worshiping you in spirit and in truth, and to also understand your word. Touch your people today, bless them, strengthen them. And if there be any needs, O oh God, that only you can meet, I just pray that you meet right now, whether it be physical or whether it be spiritual or whether it's emotional or solical or in terms of material, the well-being of your people. I speak this, O oh God, according to riches and glory that you touch your lives, touch the lives of your people today and for those precious ones that are watching as well. Thank you for this opportunity that we can gather and praise you and worship you and adore you and all this because of your goodness through Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. God's people said amen and amen and amen. What a joy and what a privilege it is to come back again and to be able to do the second segment of God's throne. I know that we studied that we would be doing today from the book of Revelation chapter 4 particularly and then moving on to verse chapter 5 is not a completion of what would be the throne or even heaven but what we begin with is so important so beginning from chapter 4 of the book of Revelation and reading verse 1 and 2 particularly verse 2 I was in the spirit behold a throne was set in heaven and one that sat on it. Behold, a throne was set in heaven and one that sat on it. What you find is John the Beloved gives you varied descriptions and yet when it comes to heaven and the things that he saw, it's more like an audiovisual and yet not the words so to speak about God or description about the eternal one, Adonai, or what would be Father in heaven, God Almighty, nor even description that would be because he could not comprehend fully. And yet there were people like Paul who went to the third heaven and he says, it's not permissible for me to speak. He said, I has not seen nor ear heard, and yet John is trying in what would be uh, his limited vocabulary in English or today that we speak or whether it was in Greek as he wrote, it was limited. It could not fully explore. There were no words to talk about the glorious splendor and celestial majesty that he saw in heaven, particularly about the one that sits on the throne. 
But I want to just read a few verses just so you'd understand that the most important thing that you find in all of eternity, in all of the galaxy, in all of the universe, in all of creation, is the throne, but not simply the throne, the one who sits on the throne. Around him centers everything else. He's the center of everything in creation. In other words, the entire creation rotates around him. The throne is the pivotal center, the focus, and the attention of everything there is, and all that is created, things that we see and things we cannot see, far beyond our galaxy or the Milky Ways, far beyond human eyes could even comprehend, the throne is the center. Around it, not only the heavenly bodies and the celestial bodies, but far beyond everything else, circles everything. What I want you to recognize is the thing surrounding the throne or the one who sits on the throne. Let me point it out when I read a couple of verses from chapter 4 of the book of Revelation. It says in verse 2, and immediately I was in the spirit and there was a throne and one that sat on it. That is most important. No description. The one that sits upon it is beyond human comprehension, understanding. Our vocabulary is limited. Articulating this would be so impossible. Only when we are in spirit, when we go to heaven, would be able to know because the one that sits is transcendent. The one that sits on the throne is indescribable and cannot ever even fathom. When you look at the things around, or the objects around, you're going to find that it's all centered around the throne and the one that sits on it. It goes on to say in verse 3, And he that sat was look upon like jasper. So the best description you could find is stones that is uh, like jasper and sardine and a rainbow, all of this very colorful. So in other words, the description is far beyond human words. It can be so colorful, magnified, manifold, manifold times for what we can hear or what can we see in terms of volumes of sound or in terms of the colors that we could ever see while we are on this earth or in the flesh. And it goes on to say, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, so it's round about the throne. Now, heaven is not a limited place. It's far beyond the expense of all that we can see in what would be galaxy. It's far bigger. And yet in the center of the entire creation is the throne and one that sat on it. Now, let me just say, it says in verse 4, and listen to the first word, round about it were four and twenty elders. So round about this throne or round about the one that sits on the throne at this magnificent, magnificent sight of four and twenty elders. There were seats and there were twenty-four elders. And then in verse 5, not only round, but it says, and out of the throne. So number one, round about. 
And then out of the throne proceeds lightnings and thunders and voices. There were seven lambs of fire. That is the seven spirits of God. So this is not only round about the throne, but out of the throne. When you go to verse 6, you're going to find, and before the throne, round about, out of, and before the throne. What was before the throne? It says here, there was a sea of glass, like crystal. Not only that, again, when you go to verse 6, the next verse, and in the midst, the verse 6, and in the midst, it says, of the throne round about, throne were four beasts full of eyes, and there were living creatures. Not only 24 elders, but it says in the midst and round about were these four living creatures or beings that's so hard to describe. What is interesting is when you turn to verse 4, uh, when you turn to verse uh, chapter 5 and verse 11, it goes on to say, I beheld and I heard the voices of many angels round about. Now again, it's round about the throne, the beast and the elders and the number of them were beyond you could even count. So this is significant when you realize what was around, what was out of, what was before, what was out of it, what was around it. It is literally the whole world, the whole universe, the whole creation is revolving around, around, around the throne, around the one that sits on the throne. In other words, he becomes a resource. He becomes the very reason we exist. What we see today, and even with the best of the lenses and human invention, what we can see is still around. It's circular in motion, but it's round. The one that sits on the throne, he's the center, he's the focus, he's the pivot of everything. Now when you go to this passage in chapter 5 of the book of Revelation and verse 6, in proximity, you're going to find the elders in the midst of the elders you have the lamb that was slain. Why would that be so close? Because the very gateway to the throne is only through the lamb that was slain. So it says, it says, and in the midst of the elders was the lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and so forth. It says even before the foundation of the world. What is so interesting is this becomes very, very important. This object of the Lamb, of course, speaks about the Lord Jesus, and elsewhere, soon it will speak about the Lion of Judah. One is a picture of one that died and suffered for us as Jesus Christ. So the Word became flesh, and before He was become flesh, He was the Word, eternal with the Father. But He came for this reason that He would give His life for us, and so it's what chapter 5 and verse 6 says, right in the midst of the elders, in the midst of everything was the nearest proximity is the lamb that was slain. Now I want you to understand the first focus we have in chapter 4 and verse 2 is the one that sits on the throne. And then number 2 
is the one that is slain before the foundation. He is one that is slain. And he's also the Lion of Judah. So him as one that was slain, speaking about coming in humility, and then as the Lion of Judah, as one that would come the second time, unlike the first as a lamb, but come as the King of Kings, as the Lion of Judah, as the one that would be seated on his throne. In Luke chapter 1, verse 32. Very interesting because when you turn to chapter 4 and verse 2, one that sits on the throne, he's the one that is seated on the throne. Yet in chapter 1, when you read the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not seated. He's standing around and around him were the seven churches of the seven lambs. And he's the one that is standing. Now here you find there is one that is seated and the closest proximity is the lamb that stands before. What you find is he's the one that is standing. Again you find that in chapter 4 you, want, you see this person, in chapter 5 you see the person seated and there was a scroll, a book in his hand and no one, the angel, uh, John says, was worthy and he was almost teared up, and then one that comes and says, there is one that will open. And this is the lamb that comes and opens. So there's one that is seated, one that is standing and coming in, and that opens. You are going to find what a wonderful way is when you look at the first aspect of uh, God or generic God, Elohim, it's not singular. It's not in terms of a person. It is in terms of multiple and not added one plus one plus one. It is multiplication. One into one into one still remains one. A multiplication that simply says Godhead. And the one that sits is not in the Greek language, like in Hebrew, Elohim. It's not in terms of, of addition or more, but it simply is multiple. And yet you find the position of the one that is, it's his throne. It is the Lord God Almighty's throne, and he is transcendent. No one can understand, no one can comprehend, he cannot be described. And yet the one that is the Lamb of God, that comes and opens our understanding about him through the Holy Spirit. You find that no man had seen God at any time, John chapter 1 verse 18. John chapter 6 and verse 46, that only the Son can reveal. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 16, he cannot be approached, he's inapproachable. He's the only wise God, the invisible God. And that was what Timothy describes, uh, Paul writes about, about God. The only wise God be honored and glory forever and forever, the invisible God that transcendent God. And yet we come to the fullest realization of that transcendent God becomes to us one that we love, one that we know because of Yeshua Messiah. Philip said, show us the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ said, he that had seen the Son had seen the Father. That is not to say in human form, 
He doesn't need human eyes, and he sees more than all of us. He sees right through the lens of eternity, past, present, and future. He's not one that you should have human ears, and yet beyond human ears, he can hear everything. He knows everything. He's not only omnipotent, he's omniscient. He doesn't need feet like we do, but yet he is omnipresent anywhere, everywhere, at all times, and every place. There's nothing in the entire universe, in the entire creation that is not known or that he cannot be in. And yet, God is a spirit. We are one body. In other sense, we are made up of three. You see the body, you can't see the soul, and you cannot certainly see the spirit. And yet, it's not three individuals, it's one. And yet, we do have what would be, for spirit, we need a spiritual help, for soul you need psychic help, for body you need a physical help, health. So in terms, three in one, and that is just a human way of describing it, yet you are looking at the amazing aspect of the garden that is fully in Christ physically. When you look at the amazing aspect of the one that sits on the throne, is transcendent. No one can explain him, no one can understand him, no one can see him. Moses desired. In Exodus chapter 33, show me your glory. And he said, you cannot see my glory and live, except the backside. You're going to find what an amazing way is through Christ, through the lamb that was slain. We get to not only know the supreme one, the transcendent one, but God becomes eminent. The transcendent God becomes eminent through Yeshua Mashiach, through Jesus Christ. And that is why he is the lamb that was slain that you find in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6. So he reveals the Father to us. The transcendent God, without losing any of his qualities, we know him as Abba Father. What you're going to find is in the roundabout, in that sense of proximity, you have first one on the throne, Almighty God, Adonai or Yahweh, God the Father seated on the throne. And then you find the lamb that was slain, who's also the lion, who's a servant and also the king, that Isaiah and the, the books, uh, of the Bible talks about Messiah. Here he's portrayed as the one that shed his blood, and particularly today as we take communion, we understand how important this is. When you go into chapter 4 and verse 2, I was on the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. And suddenly it's the Holy Spirit that is now moving in, and he is closest. And the way you find in verse 5, He's described in seven wonderful ways. One, Holy Spirit. You know about the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, dividing severally as evil, that one. And yet the nine gifts are fruits of the Holy Spirit, one spirit moving in nine different aspects. But here, it says there were seven lambs burning before the throne that are the seven spirits of God. What would be the seven spirits? 
Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 tells us, number one, the spirit of God. Number two, the spirit of wisdom. Number three, the spirit of understanding. Number four, the spirit of counsel. Number five, the spirit of might. And number six, the spirit of knowledge. And number seven, the spirit of the fear of God. Five in seven in one. So when you look at seven, it's not seven different individuals, but that seven in one. And you find in a marvelous way that he is the one that brings us and open our hearts. And that is why it's so important. You find him in so many forms and shapes. Uh, when you see in the Holy Spirit, he comes as flame. And when you see in the book of Acts chapter 2, it is cloven tongues of fire. When the Lord Jesus Christ was baptized, you see him in, uh, as a dove. But here in seven ways, he is amazingly awesome. And you find this is the Holy Spirit. And now I want you to understand, when you turn to chapter, uh, chapter 4 and verse 4, I think there should be someone even closer, but I'll explain why I have to do this, and then I'll bring the other one that would be closer. Round about the throne. Now, this is round about the throne were 20 seats. Interesting, because when we talk about the throne, we need to understand the Son has a throne. This is the Father's throne in chapter 4 and verse 2. One that sits on the throne. Uniquely the Father's throne. Uniquely the I Am, Yahweh's throne. Uniquely Adonai's throne. And yet you find... Jesus at the right hand of God the Father. It's hard to grasp, but I want you to know that three in one, and yet distinct, and yet three persons in one. Here is the Father's throne, and when you look at the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father on his throne. But there are multiple thrones. So if you were to take Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21, you find Jesus' throne, and he is telling just as the Father's throne. Revelation chapter 3 verse 21, to him that overcometh, that is to all the believers, will I grant to sit with me in my throne. This is Yeshua's throne. This is the Savior's throne. This is the King of Kings' throne. This is the Lamb who's now the Lion of Judah. Even as I overcome and I'm set down at my Father in His throne. There's the Father's throne and there is the Son's throne. The Father's throne is unique, centered in heaven, around it, surrounding, roundabout. And this is important. It is everything revolves around that supreme being. He's not without a name. He is called in generic Elohim and yet specific Yahweh. But you have many variations of it and Adonai and El Elyon and all culminating in the greatest and the most magnificent, the Lord who saves, Yahshua. But what is so interesting is when you look at the throne, there are many thrones. Uh, for example, in chapter 4 and verse 4, we're looking at those uh, 24 seats or thrones, minor, smaller. And yet on this are 24 elders. 
and they are dressed in white, and they have golden crowns, and they cast their crowns before that unique one throne, superior to everything. When you turn to chapter 20 and verse 4, you have specific throne that basically uh, God who assigns people to sit in judgment. And that is God delegates that. What you find in Revelation verse chapter 1 and verse 6, chapter 5 and verse 10, he's made us priests and kings. But let me just say, in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 28, he talks about the ones who would judge the 12 tribes. Again, in Luke chapter 22 and verse 30, again talks about and alludes to the judgment seat or that would judge the 12 tribes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3, he talks about those that would judge the angels and uh, judging angels. So that is uh, simply those lesser minor thrones, but nothing compared to one that sits on the throne, he is able to delegate, but the ultimate he is the one. Chapter 22, chapter 21 talks about the great white throne judgment. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 talks about the judgment seat of Christ where rewards are made. So there are many thrones, but the ultimate supreme where everything revolves around this unique supreme being on that throne, is the throne of God the Father and the throne of one who sits on the throne. What you, we need to understand is, when you look in chapter 4 and verse 4, we're talking about the 24 elders. Now there's many, many varied interpretation, but I sort of think it is uh, between the old and the new. Why would I say that? Because the Old Testament looked at the blood of the lamb, by sacrificing the lamb, Passover, year after year, and every time they could ever enter, it's only because of the blood, whether it be the high priest or just about anybody, only the high priest could enter into the temple, the most holy seat, but there must be blood. And they looked forward to the lamb that would be slain by faith. But we look back by faith to the one that is already slain and who shed his blood for us. Now, when we realize this, we find in chapter 4 and verse 4, these were four and twenty elders, and they are wearing white garment. What is so unique about it? Because when you read Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5, to the church in Sardis, they wear white robes. To the church, the believers that overcame in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 8, the Laodicean church, those who overcame, they wore white. In Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10, the raiment of salvation or the raiment of priests, elsewhere it talks about. So we are talking about raiment and it's specifically talking about human. But 24 can be more than that. But nevertheless, I want you to understand they were when you go to chapter 4 and verse 4, not only white raiments, but they also have crowns of gold. What is unique is, they cast their crown before that one supreme being, that transcendent God that we know intimately 
as our Father without losing any of His great qualities. He's holy, He's, he's righteous, He's justice, He's equipped in everything. And what is so amazing is He is always lives and never dies. His eternal life he stems from Him, and everything has life and light through Him and through Christ. But what is so unique, I wanted to understand, is the crowns of gold is mentioned. In the Old Testament, you have crowns that were by kings, but in the New Testament, it's spiritual. For example, in James chapter 1 and verse 12, this is the crown of life, and it simply is talking about that God will give those that will overcome the crown of life. Paul talked about the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. Henceforth, there is a crown of life, all those that overcome. And he's at the place where he would be going to be uh, basically be judged. But he's talking about to all those who love his appearing, this is the, for me a crown of righteousness. Peter also writes about crowns and again, this is crowned far beyond kingly crown in the Old Testament. When you read 1 Kings chapter 5 and verse 4, he talks about another crown, and this is called a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So coming back to chapter 4 and verse 4, round about that throne where that one supreme one sits on, are the 24 elders wearing the white robes and having the crown of gold. But when you turn to chapter 4 and verse 7, you come across another four entity. In actually, verse earlier to that, verse 6 tells us a little thing about it. Before the throne was a sea of grass, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Four beasts. Now, just in case we get a picture of some animals, that's not what it means. John is out of words. He cannot frame into what he sees. I had not seen, nor ears heard, Paul writes about. The language is limited, no matter whether in Greek or Hebrew or English. And yet it is what would be a living high beings, four of them. They know everything, they're sensitive to everything, they are the high form of security, nothing passes, nothing is not seen. And they are around the throne, the four. And they have given, given in worse sense how they look like, part man, part lion, part eagle, and so forth. What you find about these four being is something that is of utmost importance. They're the ones who begin the refrain. They're the ones who speak and sing. And what do they say in verse 8? Listen to this. At that very sound, everything begins to fall apart or fall down or kneel down or prostrate before the throne, that supreme one. And the four beasts had each of them six weeks about them, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not night and day, saying, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. John has a hard time explaining because 
even though he's in the spirit, is not fully until we go in matro, in a twinkling of an eye, we be changed and we will put on this corruption will put on incorruption. This mortal shall put on immortality. And then, like in the Garden of Eden, we will know as he is known. And yet we don't know fully even what we prophesy is in part, in what we see is in part, even the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge is in part, a word here, a word there. But the fullness is when that perfection comes, when Jesus comes, and then our eyes will be open, we will behold him. But in the meantime, the best he could do is to give you a description of God through the words of those four beasts who describe the Almighty, the transcendent God. And how do they describe? Towards the end. The Lord God Almighty, Adonai, Elohah, the Most High, which was past which is present and is to come. That is to say, the Almighty God, in one split millisecond, is in the past, in the present, and in the future. He doesn't have to go backward. He doesn't have to go this way. He doesn't have to go forward. He doesn't have to go. He is the past, the present, the future is in him. He's immortal. He's invisible. He is omnipresent, beyond time, pace, and space. So this is a description of the transcendent God, which was, and which is, and is to come, from the words of those four supreme beings that stand around the throne. That being is hard to describe. It must be the highest in order, whether it be angelic or whether it be something far beyond. And yet there are seraphims and cherubims we can allude to who have six wings. They flutter, they speak. Isaiah saw this, he was in the temple. And when you turn to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2, and verse 3 particularly, he says, it stood like the seraphims, each one had six wings, and twenty covered his feet, face, because they couldn't see the Almighty, unlike these four. And in twain they covered his feet, and twain they did fly. And look what they say in verse 3. And one cried to the other and said, Holy Holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And this is the seraphims. But Ezekiel saw this, and you can read about it in chapter 1 and verse 24 and verse 25, chapter 3 and verse 12 and 13, and chapter 10 and the entire chapter. But let's read chapter 10 and verse 5. And these are cherubim. And the sound of the cherubim's wings was heard even to the outer court as the voice of the Almighty when he speaketh. They relay the words of the Almighty from the outer court to the ends of the universe. But that is the cherubim's. Chapter 6, verse 1 is the seraphim's. 
But when you come to chapter 4 and verse 6, it is simply called the high form. Of course, there are angelic orders. There are far superior angelic orders. The archangels like Gabriel and like Michael. And again, Lucifer was one of them. But this close proximity is of supreme importance. And they are saying, holy, 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 like the cherubims and like the seraphims. Now I want you to understand, this is where I had a little problem trying to figure out where do this group of people go? Before the 24, and yet 24 is part of the race that have been redeemed. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb in chapter 14, verse 2. Who are they? This, whether they are placed after the Spirit, number four, or after the four living uh, beasts, or the living creation, creatures, but this is significant. Why? Because angels fall down, very mention of holy, holy, and yet this group, while recognizing the deity, while recognizing his and obeisance to his greatness, they have something that none of the other creation, no, not even the highest order have, an intimacy with the one that sits on the throne. And that is why it is because Jesus Christ could be called King of Kings. That's what chapter 19 talks about. He's called the Lion of Judah. That's what Revelation beginning talks about. But the reason he's called the Lamb that was slain is important, lest we forget. Lest we forget, it's only because of him. And that is why this communion is so important. So who are these that has a special proximity to the throne, to the point it could be blasphemy? That they have the authority to say, Abba, without losing sight of the one that is on the throne, supreme, transcendent. Who are these people? Revelation chapter, nine, chapter 7, verse 9. And there is no color bar, no culture, everyone is equal, saved by the blood, washed by the blood. Let's read here. After this, I beheld and look, great multitude, which no man could number of all nations, ethnos, this nation of this earth, and kindreds of people, people like you and me, says in tongues, languages, stood before the throne, before the land, not only before the Almighty One, the Omnipotent, the Omniscient, but also before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, palms in their hands. Verse 10, and cried with a loud voice, angels can't say that, Seraphims cannot say that. Archangels cannot say that. The four living creatures cannot say that. There's one that says that. Salvation. 
We are saved and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We're saved and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We're saved and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Salvation, that is because of Almighty God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to our God which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. It's because God loved us. Yahweh, Abba, Adonai loves us so much. And because Yeshua loved us, that he gave his life as an offering. Never despise what Jesus has done. Never despise the power of the blood. Never defy, never defy or even look down on what took place, the atonement on the cross. So they say salvation to our God which sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. So you have the throne and one that sits on the throne. Proximity is the one that's called slain, Lamb that is slain. And yet he's the word that was, the word was with the Father way before the creation. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he will sit on the throne of his father in human flesh, David, judging the nations. There will be tranquility and peace called the millennium for a thousand years. But he's called the lamb that was slain, number two. Number three, the Holy Spirit in close proximity, so much because he is with us. He's like the gentle father-mother that woos us, trains us, nurtures us, and gathers us. And his job is over literally when Jesus takes us home. Then there are 24 elders, then there's the beast, and then there is the multitude of people from nations, cultures, tongues, and backgrounds. Now, I want you to know there's another order. So if I were to put after the Holy Spirit the redeemed, then the 24 elders, then I could put down and say the four living creatures guarding around. And then there is another order called multitude that no one could number as well in billions. That is the angelic being. So if you were to turn to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11, not simply the four beasts and so forth, but it says, And I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne. And not only heard the voice of many, but also the beast and the elders, so that three. And the number of them, that is the angels, was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So you know the four beasts, you know the 24, but this is without number. Goes on in verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. There's something that is unique when you see the way that John describes the one that is eternal, the one that is transcendent. Because when you turn to verse 3 of chapter 4, what he describes 
is he that sat, appears to be, not is, looks like. He's having a hard time, difficulty in putting that into words. There's no language adequate enough to describe the one that's seated on the throne. Appears, what I think the best I could describe is jasper, crystal clear, and yet put it in the sunlight, it's like diamond sparkles into many colors. So the best way you can describe is God who's so colorful. And sardine stone that is red. And then there's a spray of rainbow, like the sight of an emerald, greenish, crystal clear, the purity. When you look at what would be rainbows, so much of color, far beyond human rainbows would be. And this is unique, I'll explain that. And then there is the sardine, which is red, talks about salvation, blood. And green talks about life, emeralds. Now, if that's not enough, there is another thing that is very close around the throne, of the one that sits on the throne, and that is right there, a rainbow roundabout. Rainbow roundabout is not seen on this earth. Only in heaven we'll see it. Because the rainbow where we're used to in what would be human colors, we brought the seven colors, is half a circle. Have you seen a rainbow? It's half a circle. But this rainbow is round about the throne. Here's the throne, and the rainbow is round about the throne. And I want you to understand the sight of the rainbow and the colors we haven't seen, we cannot describe. Only in heaven there would be the kaleidoscope colors that we can't even explain, we haven't known. We can't even describe it. No human words, because that is total, complete color like it was in the Garden of Eden. But something else you notice is when you turn towards, I would think the sound, and this is something important, verse 5. It says here, out of the throne proceeds lightnings. Now this is not only in terms of visual color, but an audio which decimals we have not yet heard. Elsewhere, it's like the streams of many seas and rivers formed together, way beyond human imagination. It's proceed by lightning, lightning, lightning sparks. Not like the nightclub-y thing you see there. It's sparkling, talking about the power of God displayed, celestial splendor, majestic glory. The lightnings are so powerful that every time you find in the Old Testament, God stepped out of heaven, even when it comes to Moses in Israel, in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 18. They were shocked because it was like there was thunders and lightnings. Chapter 20 and verse 18, what you find is amazing again, the sparkling of the power of God. 
You find this over and over again. Thunders, uh, Psalm chapter 18 and verse 13 probably gives you a beautiful picture of his words are like the Lord thundered in heavens. Psalm 77 and verse 18 tells you that thunder, the voice of thunder was in the heaven. Lightnings lightened the world and the earth trembled and shook. Earth trembled! There's no thunder that we tremble. That means maybe one city, but this the whole world tremble. Lightnings, thunder, that is not only color, arrays of color round about the throne, but thunder, lightning, what you see, and the rainbow full of colors as well. Then you have something in verse 6. Goes on to say, and there was a sea of glass. Hard to explain because we are all afraid of sea. I mean, people love sea. Literally, after seeing the submarine go down, looking for a ship, Titanic gone down, and how many have gone down? How many have seen the tidal waves, the tsunamis? Sea is something that you're afraid of. You never know when it comes against us. Not the sea, it's tranquil, it's like crystal glass. You can walk on it like Jesus walked on the waters and look down to thousands of miles, my imagination, and see all the beauty of the fishes it was meant to be. And in that million years or thousand years, there will be peace in the valley. The mosquitoes will not sting. The alligators will not bite you. And all of this back, a child could play with a cobra and a wolf will walk with a lion. That will be peace and tranquility. This sea is talking about tranquility. And what is so important, the four beasts full of eyes were up and behind. Verse 7 talks about Beast were like lion, and so the description is so powerful. When you look at all of them, it is in verse 9, and these beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to the one that sat on the throne and who liveth forever and forever. What I want you to understand is all of this in chapter 4 and chapter 5 before it begins to talk about the end times and all that will take place, we need to get an understanding of the one transcendent God who is now made known through Jesus Christ and he can be your father, Abba. It's not a blasphemy. It is because that transcendent God has become eminent because of Christ. We Commune with him without knowing everything about him. But one day we shall see him and we know him because we know him in our heart. Don't miss out with the intimacy with the Father. Jesus brings you closer to the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke the parable of the prodigal son and the father coming out. What a marvelous way. In all that transcendent and what would be the greatest honor and majesty, he comes down the throne and he is able to reach out to us, not until we come back. Then he covers us 
with his robes of righteousness and the ring of authority and the shoe of peace. But I want us to know this. The way this chapter forecloses, it's an ode to the Almighty Father. Let me read verse 9 all the way to 11. It is to the one that is on the throne, that is the Father. I'll come back to the Son in just a moment. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 9. And those beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and forever. And the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and forever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, this is important. The reason we exist, the reason the whole universe exists, the reason that God made all things, he could just be fine by himself, is simply they were created for his pleasure. If you have problem with that, you got problem with everything else. He made all things for his pleasure. Listen to what they say in verse 11. This is the key in chapter 4. Thou art worthy, O Lord, Adonai, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are created. I told it. John tells me, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created by him. John chapter 1, verse 3. And without him was nothing created. Tell me who created all things. The uniqueness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the beginning was the Word. Goes on to say, in the beginning God created all things. Then verse 2, and the Spirit of God moved. And then God said the Word. Let there be light. From the beginning... And before the beginning in John chapter 1. So, when you turn to chapter 5, you have an understanding of what would be the Father and the Son. And now it's not simply the one that sits on the throne and the land that is slain. That is important. Without losing significance of the land. That's the reason we are in heaven, only saved by the blood of the Lamb. But chapter 4 is uniquely of the Son. So when you read chapter 4, verse 11, let's read chapter 5, verse 9. And it says, and they sang a new song. Who? It is when the Lamb had taken the book that was in the hand of the one that sits on the, far, uh, sits on, uh, on the one that sits on the throne. No one was able, no one was worthy, and he alone could open the book. And at very moment, verse eight, and he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harp and golden veils full of odd fragrance, and which are the prayers of saints. Verse 9, now the four and twenty-four 
together with all in heaven, sing a new song. It'll be under the heaven, under the earth, on earth, the sea. We'll read that in just a moment. And they sang a new song, verse 9, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book. To who? To the Lamb. Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to the God by the blood out of every kindred and every tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto God, our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on this earth. That's another ruler, another king under the king. The way it was supposed to be, Adam a vice regent under God to be authority. And now it is Satan because he gave it over. It'll be, he'll be cast into the pitless bottom, but not now, it's ultimate. And it says here in verse 11, I beheld and I heard the voice. Who are these now singing together? I heard the voice of many angels round about the thrones and beasts and elders and number of them were 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 saying with a loud voice worthy we heard verse 5 chapter 5 worthy is God the one that sits on the throne worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and glory and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and now listen to this. And every creature which is in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, such as are in the sea, and all in them heard I say, every creature, every creation, saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and forever. And the four beasts said, Amen! And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever. Tell me, the Father or the Son? You're right, the Father, the Son. You glorify the Father. The Father glorifies the Son. Glorify the Son, and the Son gives glory to the Father. I want you to realize a very important thing before I close. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 1. The heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. The footstool of those that have accepted Jesus will be with him in heaven. But yet he says something, and I want you to listen carefully. Where is the house you build? Where is a place that I may rest? It says in chapter 3 of 8 in Genesis that in the cool of the day, God was at rest. He walked with Adam and Eve before sin. And then you find in chapter 25 of the book of Exodus and verse 22 that God says, I will converse with you between the cherubim. 
There was a house here on earth that God came. That was the ark of God. What you find is suddenly the people to whom he was the king said, we want to be like the world. You know what? It's all about Republican king and the Democratic king. And then comes Jesus Christ, the third king. My friend, you are so mistaken. So when you turn to 1 Samuel, chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, look what they said. Uh, mm. Yes, now make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. They came to the prophet Samuel in verse 6. This thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And God said, they have not dished you, they have dished me. I'm going to give it their way, but they're going to pay a price. They got a man called Saul, he was the king, and look at the history of that. But I want you to realize something very important. God was still king on this earth in a place if you could recognize him. He was in the house, in the temple, he was being worshipped. People didn't care. They just went. They had a formality. They had a ritual. They had a religion. But there was a man who had a terrible tragedy in his life. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year King Uzziah died, I went to the temple. Others didn't see, but I saw the Lord. You come here. You come to hear a preacher do a poor preaching. And singers do a poor singing. And if that's all you've come to, my friend, you missed it all. You came to see your friends, you missed it all. It could be that you have come today in a time when you lost something, your health, your job, well, whatever it is. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. He was high, he's high and lifted up. The train fills the temple. The angels cry, my God, where are the others? Didn't they know that he is in the house? Not everybody can recognize that. You must be able to have an eyes to see him beyond the spiritual. The eyes of a seer. I saw the Lord. The others saw the priest. I saw the Lord and a prophet was made. Here is the literal king that comes knocking. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. O daughters of Zion, shout. Your king comes to you. He is just and having salvation. He will come riding into your city on a donkey. We want a king on a lion, uh, on, a, on a horse. That is later. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 5. The reality is Jesus comes. And he says, you daughters of Zion, behold, your king cometh unto you meek and sitting upon a donkey in the colt of a fall of a donkey. They rejected him. Luke chapter 19, verse 44. They missed out on the visitation. They did not know the hour of their visitation. What happened in the Old Testament? 
is going to happen in the New Testament. The church will miss out on the visitation of God. They're going to see, oh, I like to see movement. I like to see jumping. I like to see some man jumping about and doing some. We want to see all of that. Most of the miracles of Jesus, he said, don't tell people. I don't want publicity. Today, want because they want money. We want to make the church like a nightclub. The Lord is talking about intimacy. Get to know him with all the big funfair and entertainment. But what you find is Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first. It's good to seek. A job, good health, family, husband, wife. But above all, seek king and his kingdom and his righteousness. So in this world, where is the king and his kingdom? Luke chapter 17, verse 21. The kingdom of God is within you. Oh, pastor, you need to go to Jordan. Uh -uh. I have him right here in Jamaica of New York. He's in me, Christ, the hope of glory. Now I want you to realize this. One day from what would be having the kingdom within us, we'll be transformed and transferred. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eyes, when he come dead, we'll first go to meet the Lord, then we which are alive shall be caught up. Did you know that John on the day, the Lord's day, was caught up by the Spirit of God, and he was there, he saw. We shall literally be caught up, and we shall see him. And so now I want to give you a very important, where exactly will your concentration be? Door was opened, and you and I will be changed, and the door will be opened, I know the pearly gates. I know the streets of gold. Who cares for it? There was a throne in heaven. One that sits on the throne. That's my father. That's my Abba. Angels falling left and right. And I go and say, Papa, Abba, Father, thank you for the lamb that sacrificed this life for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the sacrifice. A lamb that was slain that I could come before the throne, not on my merit, on the merit of Jesus, my Lord, and the transcendent God who can never be explained, who can never be defined, who could never be described. I get it all. When that which is perfect has come, we will know. And I will know him as I sh he should be known. I can embrace him, but he's a spirit. Yes, I am spirit, soul, and body. He's changed me, transformed me. And I want to know exactly what the Lord Jesus does, space and time and everything else, in that unique transform glorified body ultimately i come to the realization 
the greatest. There's a lot of things as priests and kings we have to do. There are errands, there are duties. There'll be judgment, there is eternal, I mean, eternity is huge and humongous and, and there's what would be the great expanse of creation, whatever the jobs may be. Nothing greater than standing with the throgs of mighty ones, the four and twenty elders, the four beasts, that's so unique and hard to describe. The myriads of angels and seraphims and cherubims and the redeemed will come before God and say, thank you. Thank you, Father. It's worth it all. That is the most important. All this would never be possible without the Father sending Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld, do you beheld the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus makes it possible. Let me just get the cup and we are going to stand in just a moment. Shall we stand? As often as we eat this bread, we do show forth the Lord's death till he comes. It's so meaningful. We're going to show forth and proclaim his death. It is the greatest thing that's redeemed us. And we shall proclaim it, show forth to the whole universe, seen and unseen, because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Thank you, Abba. Thank you, Abba. You didn't send an angel, archangel, or seraphims or cherubim. You send. And 32 of chapter 8 of Romans says, when you send Jesus, what more could you not have done? There's nothing more you could do. You have given us the best. And as we break this, we're reminded that he was slain for our sin. Thank you, Father. Even as we break this bread and partake in Jesus' name. In the same manner, he took the cup and he said, This is the blood, the New Testament, that was shed for you and for me. And as we drink of this cup, we do show for the Lord's death till we come. So let us drink, knowing that one day we will see the Lamb. He's the Lion. He's the King of Kings. But he's the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Thank you, Father. Lift this cup and say, thank you, Father, for the slain Lamb of God. Through him, by him, and because of him, I'm able to stand before you in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.